0: From the NFL, we know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA,
1: Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football,
0: the Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25?
1: And so much more. Watson needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott
0: holdout could be coming to a close.
1: The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep
0: telling y'all my last name is no joke.
1: And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom. With Jay Wise, I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thanks for spending your time with us tonight. Drink's uh, little girl's got a birthday, so he won't be attending this evening's festivities, but we wish her a happy birthday. What's going on, man?
0: Hey, what's going on, brother? Let's uh, let's do it.
1: All right. In episode 75, could the Wizards or Suns make the playoffs? Baseball still really hasn't gotten its act together, and Drew Brees, well, Drew Brees made some news. But first, the NBA is back. After a long 85 days, the NBA officially finalized a rough plan to get back to basketball and finish the 2019-2020 season. The plan is to bring 22 teams to Walt Disney World in Florida and start with an eight-game finish of the regular season. These games will be used to solidify seeding, determine the eight seeds of the playoffs, and be used for tune-ups. They'll be played over a 16-day stretch, with five to six games occurring per day. A play-in tournament will be needed if the ninth seeds are within four games of the eight seeds playoffs will then get underway at our conference, best of seven, just like we know it. But the schedule will attempt to get these series going as fast as possible. This means the finals wrap up no later than October 12th, and the NBA offseason will have about a month and a half with a tentative December 1st start date of next season. There's a lot to it, Jay. What do you like and dislike about it?
0: Yeah, first off, um, this is the fact that we're going to get NBA basketball again is is outstanding news. Um, It's news we've been waiting for ever since – uh, Rudy Gobert was out there touching microphones and testing positive. Um, so this th- this is a this is a big day. Um, this is happening a little bit later uh, than I would have liked. I would like to see I would have liked to see games uh, perhaps going on a little bit later this this month. Uh, but this is a win, and we got to take a win uh, where we can get them uh, with the limited action or no action that we've seen recently. Um, but of course, uh, there there are some things that I don't really like about this. I'm just, I'm really curious why we having to drag some of these teams in here um, that have, that have no shot um, spoiler alert. Uh, no, the Suns and wizards, um, they, they're not going. We, we, we won't see them in the playoffs um, that they're just too far back. The wizards are five and a half games back. The Suns are six games back. You only have eight games. Um, it's just not going to happen. And, it's one of those things where if I'm Memphis, if I'm the Memphis Grizzlies, I- I'm feeling a little screwed right now because um, they've been they've been uh, the eighth best team in the West, uh, predominantly, uh, pretty much the entire season. They're three and a half games up right now on the nine, ten, and eleven teams. That would be the Blazers, the Blazers, the Pelicans, and the Kings. And now you're telling me that all the all those teams have to do is remain in striking distance of you at four games at the end of this eight game stretch and they'd be able a play in tournament for the eighth seed that Memphis has been in for much of the season and i'm not certain on how, what that play in tournament looks like but one thing i did read is if if they if let's, let's just say the pelicans are four games or the ninth seed and they're within four games there would be a two two games that they would play if the pelicans win both games against memphis they would get the eighth seed well that doesn't that doesn't equal out if you're four game if you're if to really make it equitable if you're four games back to me that would mean okay we're gonna play we're gonna play it we're gonna play a game right now and see if new orleans wins we play another game if they win again we play another game they have they should have to win four straight games if they're four games back to make the playoffs, and if they lose any one of those games, it's over. Memphis is in. Uh, I, the the uh, the cynic in me really really thinks, and I there's no credence. I don't know if there's any credence to this, but this whole thing smells of a ploy to try to create a path for Zion Williamson to make the playoffs. And I understand this. I mean, if that's if that's a case, I'm not going to crush them too hard because I mean, there's there's a business side of this, and the in the business of the NBA, it would look it would look cool for Zion Williamson to be in the playoffs, a little Zion LeBron action in, in, uh, in the first round. Uh, But in the interest of fairness and, uh, and being somewhat correct, um, Memphis, Memphis is getting a little screwed here, in my opinion. Um, But outside of that, uh, this is an absolute win. This news that we've uh, got that the NBA is coming back and we're going to, we're going to finish the season. Uh, It seems like they've, they've got measures in place. They got testing. That was a big thing I've harped on uh, this entire process. They had to have a testing process. It seems like that's something that they're going to do on a daily basis. Um, they're also going to uh, implement other social distance, uh, social distancing mitigation precautions. Um, so uh, outside of the one issue I got with it, I think there's a lot to like about this. And the biggest thing to like is we're going to have basketball again.
1: Yeah, we sure are. Um, Overall, I think, you know, we look at this, this is probably what the NBA was going to do, right? I mean, we, we previously talked about some possibilities on a different show. We all kind of come up with our own plans and we, I think we were all pretty much in agreement that it was probably, it should just be the teams that were in the playoffs, but that's what I would have probably done. That's what we would all have done, but the NBA, they had to balance a little more than that. Uh, TV revenue is still a big driver of this and they, they're already roughly, uh, taking a, about a 40% pay cut or about a two-thirds pay cut from this. But you can recoup about 45% of your lost money if the players uh, do have some semblance of a finish of a regular season versus no regular season at all. You just jump right to the playoffs. Uh, and that's going to allow these players to recoup some of their money because we see other leagues are having a hard pro- time with that, which we we'll gonna get to later. But um, – and it also – we are there. – it is giving more teams a chance. Like you said, you know, these late-season playoff runs, they can be exciting at times, although this is a little – a little different, I guess. Uh, and they are trying to capture that essence, though. And it does make the games a little more meaningful, not just for the bubble teams, but also if this teams jockeying uh, you know, for playoff seeding. You get teams like the Rockets and the Jazz and, and teams that are trying to get in their playoff seeding and not have to play the L.A. teams in the first round, you know, especially in the, you know, other teams in the Western Conference. So, you know, not only are these six teams going to get a chance to make the playoffs, but we're also going to see those teams get a better chance to get their seeds in order. My, my main concern with this, outside of your very correct point that the Grizzlies are getting aptly railroaded, is the the basketball could be really sloppy here. I mean, we're talking about uh, – 85 days off, and then we're going to be another, what, 30 to 45 before games really get underway. I think, like, mid to late July is when we expect the games to literally start being played. So you're, you're talking about um, a long, long break. And we all know how the, how the preseason basketball, or early season basketball can look. Uh, and I think it's going to disproportionately affect teams with – superstars versus teams with more role player team chemistry built, say the Lakers versus the Celtics, you know, a team that has just one or two huge superstars versus a team that plays much more team-oriented basketball. Like, I think we all realize the big stars are they're They're still in shape. I mean, they, they have money to hire personal trainers. They can build basketball courts in their backyard if they feel like it. Like, but these mid-tier role player guys, you know, guys, or some guys maybe that go overseas. There's going to be guys that are significantly affected by this and not going to be able to just jump right back into it at full strength. So. I think that there's a chance that some of these star driven teams are going to have a sizable advantage that they can just go, Hey, LeBron. Hey, Kawhi. Hey, Giannis, just go do some cool stuff versus having to rebuild, you know, all that practice time and chemistry you build up. Uh, The other little issue I think is an issue. It could be uh, the the coronavirus. If it were to affect them significantly, as in they've already said, you know, Hey, if somebody gets it, they're going off to the side, they're getting quarantine. We're moving on. We're not going to have another complete shutdown, but what if it gets in a locker room and then a bunch of players get it at one time, you know, what if, Three of them are asymptomatic for a few days, and then all of a sudden you have four or five players with one team with it, you know, or, or, or let's say LeBron or Kawhi or someone gets it. Well, then, then what? Are we going to keep going? Are we going to tell the Lakers or the Clippers that you can't have your superstar, but sorry, we're going to move on and they got to quarantine for two weeks? So it's got a couple issues, but I do like that overall it's timely. as as timely as you can expect in the situation. Uh, Like I said, one of the biggest points I had was, man, I don't want this to run over into the next season as much as we can. I want to get this in, get it out, get it done. And I don't want to affect next season too much. And right now it looks like we're going to get the draft and free agency in October. They're going to have like a November training camp and get underway December 1st. So uh, hopefully that's enough because I want to see it get back to the home courts. I want to see fans, you know, this is nice, but, Hey, get it over with, and let's let's get to the next season where we're going to have it back to normal. So yeah, overall, to, I'm happy and, we're getting something for sure.
0: Yeah, and and, yeah, and to your point about um, the po- if someone tests positive, we, we know that one one positive test is not going to derail this thing. Right. But that but that is a fair question about what will it take? Like how? Like what? How many positive tests is it going to take for this thing to get shut down again? Because mm-hmm. and I have to believe that, that that is something that has been discussed we just don't know what that line is. Um, but yeah, I think there'll be, that there'll be a line that, that there's gotta be a line drawn to prevent a crazy outbreak.
1: It's, um, I mean, it's, it's doubtful because they've said, you know, we're going to be really testing like every day, like every single day in and out you're going to be, you you can't leave the, the, the reservation, yep. so to speak for the most part. But you wonder say in a month when people and players, families start showing up, you know, they're going to want to be with their, their, their families and, uh well then what what if one of their kids got it at a, at a daycare or something yeah
0: will yeah, we'll they yeah will the, we'll the yeah will families be on the same restrictions that the players right. are yeah it'll
1: probably be really tight right at first but then as the as the months go on what if they start relaxing the rules and then something happens i guess is probably the biggest chance for that to happen
0: all right let's keep it in the nba and take a look at the teams currently on the outside looking in with a chance to sneak into the playoffs Each team is more than three games out of the eighth place right now, so they won't be able to afford many slip-ups if they want a shot at the eighth seed. All right, Cody, out of these six outstanding contenders, who is most likely to make a run at that eighth seed?
1: They are certainly outstanding, but uh, I think we look at these teams, the, the Blazers are the team that, for me, I think has the best chance to kind of break through and get a playoff spot if we assume that Memphis isn't in this conversation since they're like the, the default right now. Uh, you have the star power of Damian Lillard, who, you know, I still think is a top ten player in this league. He's fully healthy. He's ready to go. He missed a couple games. He's been banged up a little bit, but now hopefully with all this time off, he's more than recovered and ready to get it again. You know, he was fifth in the league in points at 29 points per game and seven, uh, with 7.8 assists, he's good for six in the league in that, uh, him and CJ, I think have proven that they can will a team forward. And when we look at this return, you know, I'm looking at teams with, again, with the superstars we talked about on the last topic to succeed more. I think when you can just give the ball to someone like Damian Lillard and say, Hey, go out there and just make this happen with our limited time. We've had to practice and prepare and get ready. Um, you're going to have a better chance in a team that's got to rely on that sort of uh, chemistry and whatnot. Uh, And Lillard, I think he's been one of the players that have proven that he can truly do that. I mean, there's a lot of stars and superstars that can do it for a game or two, like, I don't know, like a Joel Embiid, but then he goes out and does whatever. But I think Lillard has, has separated himself from these players that, Hey, you know, in a series or, or whatever, I can be a guy that shows up every night and really can pull a team ahead of another one by just being who I am. Um, so hopefully that that's what we'll be looking at for, the, for them. I know, you know, these guys are going to be ready. They're, they're in shape, and they've got the muscle memory, so I'm looking forward to him doing that. And like we said all year, man, the Blazers, they shouldn't suck as much as they do. You know, after that backcourt, you have a capable room defender in, in Hassan Whiteside. You have capable shooting in Trevor Ariza, and you have some solid rotational guys like Rodney Hood. I mean, even Carmelo is giving you 15 points off the bench and starting at times for injuries. Uh, this is a team that they should be able to seize the opportunity and, and push a young Grizzlies team for a playoff spot. And I would – at the absolute minimum. Expect them to be able to get into a play-in uh, tournament with with within being within four games. I would expect them to at least stay within four games of the Grizzlies. Uh, another team that I would say you know could also make a push to San Antonio, and that's only because of the faith in, in Coach Pop. Um, this is a very strange situation, very trying times, very new, and I, I know that he's never experienced something like this. But he no doubt knows how to lead a team and get them through some adverse situations. And again, you do have the star power of DeMar DeRozan and Marcus Aldridge, and I. Most people don't even remember they exist anymore, but, um, you know, that might be enough to sneak a couple wins out of this little mini regular season. I mean, there's only eight games. You win five or six, you know, as a team that's three and a half back, you might have a chance to leapfrog one or two more teams, so it shouldn't take a miracle, right? So I would hope that San Antonio would be able to draw on that experience they have to be able to maybe eke out ahead of some of these other teams and be the difference than, say, them versus, like, a younger team like Phoenix or something. And then, you know, besides them, I don't have a lot of faith in some of these other teams. You know, the Suns and Kings don't really do it for me. Uh, the Pelicans could. They, they might be too young. I'm not – you know, it's, that one's tough. And the Wizards, they just don't want to play defense, so they're out. So – yeah, overall, Portland and San Antonio are the two teams I would expect to make noise out of this group.
0: Yeah, I think I think Portland's probably the safest pick. If you had to, you know, if you were betting, if you were taking a bet on this, Portland would probably be the safest bet. And I will I will say, out of all these teams, Portland has the best player. They have Damian Lillard. Um, I've I've just been so unenamored with Portland all year that, as as much as as much as you probably could be right about this. I'm just not going to go that way. I just haven't seen enough all year. I mean, this is a team again, this is a Western conference finals team last season. I know they got swept, um, by golden state, but that, that's still such an accomplishment. And to follow that up to be in this position, it's, it's just been, they've been outside of Philadelphia. They've been the most disappointing in the in, this disappointing team in the NBA for NBA for me. Um, I would go. I'm going to go New Orleans. Um, as and as much as I believe Portland has the best player out of all these teams, the Pelicans to me. And I know I was critical. I was critical of the NBA and how this appears to be set up because I think it it has an adva- it, it has the look of trying to create an opportunity for New Orleans, but New Orleans has the most dominant force that can make the biggest difference. I believe, and that's and that's Zion. Uh, He's shown no ill effects of the injury that kept him out for the first half of the season. Um, He's putting out, he's putting up great numbers. He's giving you 23 points a game. Um, He, he, listen, we talked about one of the things we looked at um, when he was coming in the NBA is how will he do? Will he be able to bully his way to the basket the same way he did in college? There's been times, there's been times where he's faced uh, some heavy resistance, Uh, a game against the bucks comes to mind. Uh, But against most NBA teams, he's been able to do what he wants and get to the rim Um, to the point where we're looking around saying uh, we thought he might need to uh, improve his perimeter shooting. Uh, But now we're looking around saying it may not even be necessary because he's that great and that skilled and adept at getting his shot at the rim. It's just it just seems that he is an unstoppable force. And with that in mind, you also have to take consideration. You've got a guy that's playing at all-star level uh, at an all-star level the entire season. And Brandon Ingram, he's in, he's been fantastic. Uh, could be could be your most improved player this season. Drew Holiday. Let's not forget this is a guy who, a couple years ago, uh, playing his butt off defensively, actually shutting down Damian Lillard in the playoffs. He can do it for you. J.J. Redick remains a great shooter that can help you off the bench. Lonzo Ball got to give some gotta give credit where credit is due. He's made some strides this season. Josh Hart, Derek Favors, uh, they're a pretty deep team. And the only question I have with them is could we get any level of defense? If they play an ounce of defense, they could they could have a great chance at being the eighth seed and have a shot against they'd have a great shot in this playoff against Memphis, if that's how it shakes out. Um, but yeah, just to but to, just so we don't want we don't want to leave anybody out, let's just let's cover the rest of them. Um, yeah, Sacramento. Yeah, they they I, were my sleeper. Some they were my, moments, but yeah, mm. they they were my sleeper playoff team. Um, I'm gonna I, I'm on the record as saying Luke Walton was my coach of the year. Um, he he's not gonna win that award now. Um, San Antonio, San Antonio would be a nice story if they got it done. That would be the 23rd consecutive year they'd make the playoffs. Yeah, that streak is um, on the line right now. I'd put I would put an asterisk next to it, but I mean I mean Phoenix and Washington. Uh, can we please can we please get real? Uh, all of these every last one of these six teams is eight games under five hundred, and Washington is sixteen games under five hundred. They're not going anywhere. I'm sorry. Um, well, they're so not
1: playing defense.
0: Ooh. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I would go New Orleans. Although I am gonna I am gonna concede that Portland is probably the safe pick.
1: All right, man, the rift between the MLB and the players has unfortunately continued this week. Last week we talked, the MLBPA was working on a counteroffer to the MLB owners for a season restart, which turned out to be a 114-game plan. It was soundly rejected, and the sides remained deadlocked. According to ESPN's Jeff Passan, the MLB is essentially arguing that they either need a 48-game schedule where players make full get prorated pay, which is you only get paid for the games you play, but you get your full amount of money per game, or the players will need to take an additional pay cut percentage on top of the prorated losses. The players have counted with more games for more TD revenue and are refusing to accept anything less than their 100% prorated salary. There's a lot of math and uh, ill will in this one, it looks like, Jay, so let's uh, so go ahead and talk through it. Is either side right? And how bad is this for baseball amidst the NBA return news?
0: Yeah, uh, I'm going to leave all the numbers and money and all that stuff to you. Um, I'm going to just keep it big picture. And uh, my position is really unchanged uh, from last week. Um, this is, and it only makes it worse based off our lead story, which is the NBA having this act together. That, that's, that's a real problem because we talked about this. We talked about this many a time. This was an opportunity for baseball. To take the lead, remember the NBA got shut down during this baseball had not even started yet. They were in spring training. so baseball's had time they've had months now to get this together, and they're still not on the same page and now, for according to something I read according to a report I read earlier, the two sides are as far apart as they've been throughout the entire process, which is the worst point that you want to be in, considering if this was a regular June we're yeah June 5th right now the uh, baseball if if we're on a regular season, no pandemic, uh, baseball would be a third of the way done already. Uh, we'd be hitting to the All Star game in about a month, and we don't even we we don't have any games played. Meanwhile, the NBA has their act together, and it all it, it a big a big factor in this appears to be as it was last week, uh, the league's offer that they made had such a different feel to it than the, the agreement they had in March based on prorated salaries, which was the agreement they had on about March 26th. The league came back last week and said, now we want to do this sliding pay scale, which would hurt, which would uh, leave more of the economic brunt on the, the top earners in baseball, the Mike Trouts, your Garrett Coles, list goes on and on. And uh, the players associated and said, no, we're not doing that and now and they did say last week we had it we said the players association was going to make a counter offer they made their counter offer and the league rejected it and not only did the league reject it they said uh, we do not plan on making a another offer the i guess you maybe a counter counter offer maybe mm-hmm. but which so to me and i i I've, I've, i have figured out fully on which side of this I'm on, I'm on the player side. And normally in a lot of situations, I'm, I'm critical of the players in, the, in these regards. Uh, but but base, when you think about the league and the players saying that the league had their proposal in March that they had agreed to, the, the whole money, the whole salaries was supposed to be set. And now they went back on it in last week's proposal. And now, to, and now this week, they're saying, "Okay, we heard your offer. We're not even gonna bother. We're not even gonna bother that. We're not even gonna come up with anything." So now you got two offers that neither side agrees to, and the league is not even gonna bother to try to make an attempt to negotiate further and get back into the middle ground so we can get this going. It's a terrible look when you add in all the things that we've had going on in this in 2020, to include a pandemic and now the social unrest that we see happening before our very eyes. Baseball continuing to not have its act together is horrible from an optics perspective. And now, I was, I, I've been saying this, it would it would behoove the MLB to get this thing rolling before the NBA gets back in action. And it appears they're not gonna do it unless something changes in the very near future. Somebody has a change of heart. Somebody's got to step in that middle ground and bring some order to this situation, or else baseball is just in a heap of trouble. Uh, they look horrible right now. Um, we, they, some on one side. There has to be a couple, a leader or two from both sides to find middle ground and come up with a compromise, or else it's very possible at the right now the where we're headed that we will not see baseball this season. And that's a shame.
1: Yeah. It, uh, it does seem like a pretty bad situation. That's not getting any better. Uh, The biggest issue it seems like right now is both parties, they feel unjustly hurt by a situation that's not in their control. You know, it doesn't seem like there's any unity regarding getting things going again. Like you said, it feels like there's two, the two sides are just in their own echo chamber right now. They're not even opening the door to see who's on the other side. You know, the argument gets framed as the MLB versus the MLBPA but it should be the MLB versus the coronavirus, right? That's what we should be talking about. And we're not, we're talking about the two sides within the organization. You know, the NBA just set the example, right? They got together, they brainstormed with coaches, players, executives, blah, blah, blah. They came up with a pretty solid plan. It got voted 29 to one. The only team that the was Portland. And they had some reason they did, but at the end of the day, it got unanimously passed. The NBA just trucked through this problem and they are rolling in, rolling on to, into July. But Meanwhile, we have a $10.7 billion organization last year arguing however to split however many billions they still have up amongst the pandemic. Like you said, Jay, it's optics, and they look horrible right now. Um, the negotiations are they are kind of complicated, but like you said, what it kind of comes down to is a magic number of $326 million, which is really what we're hanging up on. There's a, there's a loss that's accepted right now. Like the, the league is going to lose X money per game because of the ticket sales, the revenue, the TV deals, et cetera, okay? And then the, the question now is, well, how many games of a season do we want to put on and accept that loss? The difference is the, the MLB wants to do a 48-game season. 48 games is what they've said, hey, that's all we can give you if you want your full salary. That's, that's you know, Every per-game salary does not get cut at all. The players have said, no, 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 we want 82 games because we get more money in that case, more TV revenue, and yep.
0: Hey, I believe la- last week, if you recall, the league proposed the 82 games. The players proposed 114 games. Now what is circulating is that the league wants 48 games. That hasn't even been proposed officially, but but you can, but you can see the problem here. Last week we were at 82 and 114, and now it's, you would think in, a, in the interest of compromise, the league would say, okay, instead of 82, how about we go up to like 90? You know right. what I'm saying? Instead, now we're going the complete other direction at 48.
1: It's, it's that's the and that 48 just seems ridiculous to me but that that's like I guess that's where the league has wound up getting to and the players are saying hey we're not going to take anything less than that because we want they want one the players want more games and they also want it because it much more of a encompassing regular season I mean you would probably argue the 82 games right is enough to know where teams stand right like you and, can get a good more, idea yeah. what a team is after 82.
0: And, yeah and and more games for the players means more money
1: Right, and the difference is if the league would put on eighty two instead of forty eight they stand to lose a total of about three hundred and twenty six million more dollars than they would in the forty eight game and, and, and both sides you know they have some blame here the players could could exchange a little bit of extra cut off their salary to sort of bridge that that money gap between the two sides, and the owners could also come off a little bit more because this is something that happens a lot, especially in America. these billionaire owners love to reap the profits and benefits when the times are good. Right. And, and but then they, they want to shove off the losses. We see it like, these, these companies enjoy record profits. And then when the economy crashes, say with the COVID thing or, or whatever else, they immediately want to socialize the loss out to the government and to the taxpayers and to other people and say, well, you know, we're not going to accept the loss, but then when the profits are good, we want them to roll on in. So it feels like to me, if they tell the average person, Hey, you know, you need to save up in case there's an economic crash. Well, these the companies and owners should do every MLB owner is worth more than a billion dollars. Like, $326 million is, a, is not a rounding error, but it's not astronomical either. Um, as an outside observer, I mean, you're can you you're much more connected to this than I am, but it feels like baseball has, has had this problem for a while of, you know, between the, some teams strategically tanking. And I've heard there's always been this big stink about not paying some free agents. It gives off, like, a vibe of, like, apathy in the sport. And, you know, obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, but and it feels like uh, as a whole they are just not – super interested in getting this underway. Like the sense of urgency the NBA had just doesn't seem like it's there with MLB, does it?
0: Yeah, and, and again, it all comes back to optics. And not only you talk about pandemic, you talk about, again, social unrest that we're seeing based on uh, the murder of George Floyd, but also um, the the other consequences of the pandemic is the economic fallout when – you know, we did get a positive jobs report today, but up until today, um, the situation looked bleak. Uh, experts were expecting the uh, it to get worse, and baseball's just over here, um, on the on its pedestal, quibbling over millions, and and it's not it's not like th- uh, this money. I believe as Jeff Passon put it, I mean these th- these millions aren't a rounding error, mm-hmm. uh, but it's still somewhat insignificant when you consider it's. This is a billion dollar industry. And
1: 10.7 uh, from last year. I mean, it's, you know, it's a lot of money, you know, and, they, and they're, they're sh- losing and money. They're, no doubt. They're the owners are saying, Hey, we've left billions on the table. Like the total loss is going to be like 3 billion, but we're talking like per game for these numbers.
0: And so. there's, and there's plenty of working class um, men and women who aren't seeing a dime right now outside of their unemployment uh, that they're getting. So when you take all that into account, yeah, it it just does. It looks like both sides and again, that that's where the that's where a compromise has to take place. Somebody has to be aware on both sides, saying, "Guys, like, look around, look at what's happening to our country right now, and we're over here. We we are definitely in the in the privileged part of society right now, and we're having this type of disagreement. It's it's terrible."
1: Right. So, and again, you know, when you compare it to the optics of how fast the NBA got through this and made it work, Absolutely. it just looks, that, it looks and so the, bad. And,
0: and the fact that the NBA has it together, it makes it worse. It makes them look worse.
1: So, yeah. So I think the MLB in the end of the day, they're under now some extraordinary pressure to get this done and get, and get a thing. Someone's going to have to blink. It's not likely the owner's history tells us usually the players uh, are the ones that crack first. So the owners are like, well, we can play whenever. I mean, we got money still, who cares? But you know, the, the players do have some ammo in the form of the expanded playoff system coming. It's going to bring more money in. They can simply stop putting effort into the league. They can stop doing extra signings and extra sponsorships. And they can they can kind of be real passive-aggressive about it. But at the end of the day, this is something that's got to get done because this has the, the chance, man, not to just bleed into this season. But, yeah, I think in 2021, a new labor agreement's coming up. And right. if, they, right. if this bad blood rolls into that, I mean, it could be a nasty – Long period, you can see lockouts like we've seen before. That it might get real bad. So they, they, at least, we need to get it done, fellas. Let's let's play some ball. All
0: right. We now turn to a story which dovetails off the senseless murder of George Floyd. Saints quarterback Drew Brees received heavy criticism after comments he made Wednesday relating to the American flag and the national anthem kneeling, which started with Colin Kaepernick. Brees apologized yesterday. But that hasn't done much to calm the storm after his initial comments. All right, Cody, let's take a crack at this. What are your thoughts on the reaction to what Drew Brees said?
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's hard not to talk about this one. It's been quite a big deal over the last day or two. Um, you know, I think what's going on with, with Brees is, is a symptom of, of a larger problem we have in the country right now, which there seems to be little to no tolerance on either and all sides. I'm not criticizing protesters or anti protest whatever the case may be, uh, there, there seems to be little room for any sort of complexities or gray area or acceptance of the idea there could be more than one right answer to a problem. Uh, Drew Reese is also the victim of a current climate that operates often by a social mob rule where if you don't fall lockstep with the correct opinion totally and wholeheartedly, uh, then you're just gobbled up and spit out. It's something we've seen for a, quite a many years now in this country. And, you know, when you look at Bruce's original comments and the subsequent follow-ups where he further clarified his position – he was really – the whole controversy stems from a very small part of his larger argument, You know, in the argument which he basically uh, completely agreed, that he realizes the country doesn't always work for everyone, that minorities are often unfairly targeted and treated by police, and that we still have a very long way to go to get to the vision that the Founding Fathers intended when they originally wrote the documents that this country system is founded off of. But he also acknowledged that, hey, millions of people have fought and many have died for, this, for the idea of true equality and liberty. Some did it on the battlefield, millions in others like his like his grandfathers, for example, and then others. You know, I've done it here in the streets at home with this women's suffrage, civil rights movement, etc. Uh, he sees all their struggles, and when a deliberate protest is done during the anthem, he sees it as a disrespect towards their struggles. And to me, that's kind of the crux of all this. There there's no to me, there's no correct interpretation of the flag, the anthem, or the protest. You know, some folks are gonna look at the flag here in the anthem and they're gonna think of all the injustices that their family has suffered at the hands of a system that often doesn't seem to care about them. Other folks, like Breeze, you know, they're gonna look at it and they're gonna look at the positives and the 300 plus year old experiment and say, hey, we can still do better. You know, Kaepernick, for better or for worse, uh, you're not ever going to be able to totally shake the opinion of many people that his protests were somehow linked to the, the country, the military, and just as a whole you know, sort of the baby with the bathwater analogy. You know, he didn't kneel at halftime. He didn't kneel before the kickoff. He specifically targeted the national anthem. That's always going to be inextricable to some people. To me, neither side is completely right or wrong because to me, it's only the symbol of what you make it out to be. Now, was Breeze's comments pretty tone deaf for the moment? Yeah, there was no reason he couldn't have just made some boilerplate stock off the shelf answer and just unrolled a script and read it and said, hey, good luck, everybody and rolled on. You know, there was was it really the time to kind of to kind of bring bring this back up or beat the horse some more? No, but the character assassination he suffered now is ludicrous. I mean, the man helped rebuild the city after Hurricane Katrina, one of the worst natural disasters in U.S. history. He's been an ambassador of the city and the region. He's donated tens of millions of dollars, volunteered countless hours of time to a community that is majority minority compromised. And no one has ever thought of Drew Brees having a single racist bone in his body until this week. But then suddenly, becomes he agree disagrees with a slight interpretation of a part of an argument, that he still largely sides with the 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 foe, those who want change. You know, he's simply now a terrible person. He, he, wor- he needs to be canceled. Needs to retire. Needs to be thrown out of his official announcing job. Nothing else matters. So. I don't, I don't like the, the ridiculous backlash he's gotten. I can understand why people might be upset, um, but the, the level that's been taken to it is quite insane. And I think for all the talk of unity right now, it's really easy to do the opposite, and Breeze is an example of that on both sides, You know, those who are demonizing him and then him stirring the fire for no reason. So I think we can, and we, we should do better than this to me.
0: The real sad thing about this whole situation that started with, again, the senseless death of George Floyd, is that so mi- so much of this, so much of the issues and what occurred and what has occurred afterwards, so much of this we can all agree on if you have any amount of human decency running through your body. Mm-hmm. Number one, the death of George Floyd was wrong. It was horrific. It shouldn't have happened. Uh, number two, uh, we've seen uh, instances, too many of them, where it appears minorities are treated differently and worse by the police. We've seen that on far too many occasions. Uh, number three, police officers that conduct themselves in th- in such a way should be held accountable. No matter, no matter, and that doesn't matter what the race is. And number four, this is an issue it should be protested. No problem with protests. So much of that, so much of that, we can, I think we can all agree on, again, if we can operate under the premise that we all have some sort of human decency about us. Yep. The problem, the problem that we have now, and you mentioned it a little bit, and I, I, the word nuance really comes to mind here, because the conversation, once you, once protests, become riots and I think there and there has to be a distinction. There has to be a distinction between protesting and rioting. Because what we've seen transpire the past week in just cities starting with Minneapolis. And once it happened in Minneapolis, it seemed to spread like wildfire. Once the riots start and you have just utter chaos, people just running into breaking in to businesses, breaking into stores. And just running out stealing stealing things, and then we had you had when you when you it's one thing to be out there protesting, but when you have people throwing projectiles at police officers, whether it be water bottles, whether it be bricks, whatever the case may be, we crossed the we crossed the line, and the society is disintegrating into anarchy. That's where we're headed right now. And, I can, and I, can, I can assure you that is not a place we want to go. In the case of Drew Brees, Drew Brees said what he said initially. And you're, you, you're 100% correct. When you talk about being tone deaf, I would use the words when you appear to have a lack of awareness. That's, what I, that's, how, I would, uh, that's how I would put it. But again, when you talk about the First Amendment, and you talk about free speech, you hear you hear the phrase "right to your opinion" a lot, but in cases like these, it doesn't appear to be that way. Drew Brees said what he said, and whether you agree or disagree, I didn't find nothing offensive about it. I really didn't. But again, that's where we that's where we head into this um, offensive-oriented culture where it all it all depends on the reaction that people have to it, and some people fa- and some people many of them found his comments offensive. But on the flip side of that, when you, talk, when you go back to Colin Kaepernick, and we know we know why Colin Kaepernick protested, it was because he was protesting police brutality. But then again, you can also flip the script on that. As much as we talk about the reaction and the offense to Drew Brees' comments, when you protest during that time, you, you, offend, you offend patriots. You know what I'm saying? You offend people that have a high degree of respect for their country. And when you protest during the national anthem, people are going to feel some type of way about it. And let's be honest. And I've thought this many a times, even though I understand that that's that is a perfect time to get attention for the issues you're hoping to correct and have and bring about change and make progress on. But. You know, as well as I do, there's such a thing as press conferences, players, players have press conferences after games, quarterbacks, especially um, Colin Kaepernick at any time throughout his career. And, I, and again, uh, when he started kneeling, it's not like pr- police bruta- brutality had just started. And we've seen instances of unarmed black men um, being killed and being being murdered. We'd seen these before. Never heard from him in a press conference at any time. He could have said, "Hey, pr- hey, guys, talking to the reporters. We're not going to talk football right now. I want, I want to bring attention um, to another to another issue." He had opportunities to do that. He chose to go a different route, which is perfectly within his right. At the end of the day, when you talk about Colin Kaepernick protesting, every he's got every right to do so. And and uh, on the flip side, I believe anyone, if you don't agree you should have that right to not agree with the method in in which he went about it. I think that's perfectly reasonable. The problem that we're getting into now, and you also touched on it, is the mob culture. If you you are not 100% on board with what the the mob or the movement, however you want to call it, if you don't don't fully 100% hop on that bandwagon, you risk being run over. And that's what happened to Drew Brees. The, the level, the backlash, and the response to him, unfortunate because, and to, and to have it come from teammates who know this man, Michael Thomas, Malcolm Jenkins has been a teammate of Drew Brees before he left for Philadelphia. Now he's back with the Saints. The list goes on and on. Um, I agree with you. I, of course, we don't know Drew Brees from a can of paint, but by all accounts, He seems like he's class personified. And when you talk about uh, after post-Hurricane Katrina, um, Drew Brees, to me, is kind of a symbolic figure of the the rebirth of that city. Uh, We talk about football, sports being a microcosm of society. Drew Brees in New Orleans right now, uh, to me, they go hand in hand. And it is an absolute shame to see what has happened to him. And then just the negative, I mean, you've got people You've got crowds in New Orleans marching saying, F Drew Brees. It's unfortunate. And he, and he apologized yesterday, and it didn't seem like it helped all that much. So, and we talk, again, we go back to free speech. It seems like free speech now is only selectively applied. And in a lot of cases, if you don't 100% agree with what the majority at the time, uh, uh, is feeling or saying, you may as well not say anything at all. That's what it comes down to. That's why these topics are so risky and they're so complex. And I would I would honestly just like to know. I would honestly like to know what what can I do to help? You know, what can I do to help prevent police brutality? I really would like to know. Um and I haven't discussed this with, with our counterpart drink. I haven't really, I have not, I gotta be honest. I haven't broached this conversation with him yet. Uh, I don't know how he's feeling. Um, I've, I've hinted. we talked about this a couple weeks ago, approaching this segment um, and full disclosure, he didn't want to go there. And with that in mind, uh, I respected his opinion and we didn't go there. Um, but when it, when it got into the Drew Brees situation, I felt like, since it was more, it had a more sports feel to it. That's why I wanted to address it today. But again, bottom line what we saw in Minneapolis, we should not have seen. Inexcusable, horrible. And again, I think we can all agree on that. But there are nuances of this that I think it's okay, and I think it's perfectly reasonable for there to be disagreement. But there has to be discussion there has to be discussion the pro- a lot of a lot of the problems that we're coming about today is people want to be completely closed minded and they don't want to listen to anybody that disagrees with them
1: yeah that that nuance is like the key of all this i think like like you're talking about is is I think there's a, instead of a black or a white, a one or a zero with these arguments of like Drew Brees, for example, is either, Drew Brees is either a terrible racist or he's perfect, you know, where in essence, there's this huge middle ground where everyone pretty much hangs out of, you know, like I said, we all, we all pretty much agree. Like you just said your are four points. I don't think hardly anyone would disagree. If they do, then, well, I'm, I'm you can't help them. This is what it is. But, you know, when you start, you start getting into these details where these tiny little mis you know, little arguments can just completely throw someone to the side. It's, it's ridiculous. Like you said, how can you have a conversation, a real conversation about change, not just, you know, coming off with random boilerplate Twitter speak, like, how can you actually talk about a subject that's difficult like this, when something as small as what he said can make someone a social pariah for the rest of their time? That That's just, it's it's insane. So, how can you yeah. preach unity and, and change and conversation? But then as soon as Drew Brees says something you don't like, you, you crap on him from a hot air balloon. I, I just, I don't, I, I don't get how that's, and that's I mean, and we have yeah, to and be able to talk about these things to go forward.
0: Yeah, and, and a, co- yeah, a couple more things. The generalizations that we see, generalizations, they're not good. When we talk about the, pushing the narrative that every cop is like that cop in Minnesota, Derek Chabin or whatever, mm-hmm. his name whatever his name was we we know we know we should know that's not tr- we should know that's not true but uh, coming from a personal perspective my father was a deputy sheriff for 10 years in uh in my hometown of virginia um that that's my father um uh, my father always treated everybody with respect um i know i know this for a fact and good good man and you know just based off what I learned from him and again I and I went back, back to the question I posed earlier that we can't get an answer r- right now about what can I do you know I go about the business and I'm sure you do as well we go back a long way of going about my business and everybody I come in contact with treating everybody with respect that that's that's I think that's at the end of the day that's all we can ask for we know everyone does not live like that and it's a shame that they don't but from a personal perspective and a personal responsibility, that is what I go about the business of doing is treating everybody the same and treating everybody with respect. And then last point, going back to the issue of riding and protesting and that line. The behavior of people that cross the line and obviously uh, uh, the majority are, prob- are peacefully protesting. But again, just like one bad cop can ruin it for everybody, a couple of agitators here and there they hijack that and and the attorney general has used this verbiage as well they hijack the the uh the real issue and we've seen it as soon as those riots started you started hearing the name George Floyd less and less you started hearing the phrase police brutality less and less because the story was now the rioting and the burning and the and communities burning literally burning down. I remember the first night in Minneapolis when that target was getting looted and later in the evening, an auto zone burned down. Think about all the businesses in these communities that have been torched. It's just in these communities with, again, with so many minorities living in them. Now they got to go, go about the business of trying to rebuild. And if you, and if you listen to anything that's going on, because we've, We've had these type of riots happen before. It takes years, years for these communities to get back on their feet. And again, the behavior is bad enough. It's egregious. What is even worse is people of influence living in in their privileged lifestyles because there are plenty of minorities out there that that have made successes of themselves and made it good. But it's a shame that those people almost it seems like they're encouraging that behavior. So now you reinforce the, rioter, the rioting and the looting and people now legit thinks it's okay. If you saw certain people of influence and prominence come out and say, this is not okay, we'd see less of this. It could have been stopped sooner. And oh, by the way, last point that I have, mm-hmm. it's a shame. George Floyd's brother, I've seen him quite a few times and he has pleaded every time I've heard him, stop the violence. I don't know why people aren't listening. It's a shame his voice is not reverberating and being amplified because this this instance of police brutality started with his brother and it's a shame people are not listening to him.
1: Yep, very sad situations. Hope, hope everybody can get through it. All right, so I finish off with a rapid reaction. A lot of topics, a little bit of time. Let's go, Jay.
0: All right, Oklahoma State's men's basketball team has been placed on probation for the next three years due to level one violations involving former associate head coach Lamont Evans. Big deal, little deal, no deal.
1: Uh, it's definitely a bit of a deal. Uh, Evans was receiving thousands of dollars in bribes for steering players to certain agents and sponsors after they turned pro. And it's just another black eye on the sport Like since the FBI had come down on them all those years ago. Uh, Oklahoma State, for what it's worth, has not been to the Sweet 16 since 2005, but they just landed the number one recruit for 2021 in Cade Cunningham, so this could wind up costing him, uh, them him. Brooklyn Nets superstar Kevin Durant has bought a minority stake in the Philadelphia Union, an MLS soccer team. Your thoughts?
0: Yeah, this is what happens when you got too much time on your hands. You wind up buying uh... – buying stakes in soccer teams. So, anyways, yesterday, Florida State head coach Mike Norvell found himself in hot water after saying he personally reached out to his team regarding the protest. Star defensive tackle Marvin Wilson called the coach out and said nothing besides a mass text had been sent. What's going on here, Cody?
1: Yeah, it sounded like a really big deal at first. You know, uh, Norvell basically had said that he had, like, personally kind of reached out to every single player on the team, you know, to talk about the situation. And then, you know, defensive tackle Marvin Wilson, who came back for his senior year and is pretty much the unquestioned leader right now, basically was like, ah, not so fast, coach. You know, you pretty much just sent a mass text out, and that was it. So Norvell took it in stride. He he immediately apologized and said, okay, sorry, that I, I missed – I used the wrong words, essentially, and I didn't mean to say that I had personally, like, went to talk to every player, you know, but my lines are open. I sent that text, and some players have responded, some haven't. Uh, the team kind of had a – they kind of had a meeting about it, talked about it, and it seems like for now it's mostly water under the bridge. So Mike Norvell definitely dodged a bit of a bullet there. Patriots quarterback Jared Stidham has been leading throwing sessions with small numbers of teammates, according to ESPN's Mike Reese. Does that impress you?
0: Uh, not really. It sounds like something he probably should be doing. Uh, and again, it's the offseason. Uh, he's not going to impress me until I see some game action and at the very least see him make some throws in the preseason. With the NBA restart finalized, the Hawks season has ended. And with that, Vince Carter's career has ended. The 43-year-old who played in four different decades said he would retire after this season. So what will you remember most about his career?
1: Oh, man, it's the dunks, 100%. Uh, the Olympic dunk will always be immortalized to me in basketball history. I mean, I think he has to widely be considered one of, if not the greatest dunker of all time. And, uh, you know, it sucks he never got a ring, but he also was one of these guys that really chased one towards the end. He was on a couple pretty good teams. But um, overall, you know, maybe did he live up to the height? Maybe maybe not, but he's a good dude, and best of luck to him in his next endeavors. The Pittsburgh Pirates will be without right-handed starter Chris Archer for the 2020 season after he had surgery to relieve symptoms of thoracic outlet syndrome. Big loss?
0: Not really. The Pirates are already without their ace, uh, Jameson Tyon, uh, for Tommy John's surgery. Now they're without their number two in Archer. They probably wouldn't have been all that good anyway with both of those guys. And oh, by the way, uh, we're not even certain if we're going to have baseball uh, off our previous one of our previous topics today. So no, not a big deal at all right now. NBA commissioner Adam Silver says it's possible older coaches might not be on the sideline when the season resumes due to COVID-19 concerns. Are you for or against this idea?
1: No, I, I'm pretty against this. Uh, you know, first of all, none of these guys are ancient, nor do they have tremendous health problems. I mean, they ain't dragging around oxygen tanks or getting wheeled around in a wheelchair on the sidelines. So uh, y- your environment's going to be as about as safe as it can possibly be with daily tests and whatnot scheduled. So I, it doesn't seem necessary to me, first of all, as long as the tests are being ran. Maybe require masks, but it should be for everybody. But you, you can't tell me that some coaches got to go sit in the booth because they can't be on the sideline, but then the other team gets to have their coach because of some arbitrary age that someone threw a dart at a dart Board to figure out. So no, it's that's not fair to me. Last one, six NFL head coaches returned to work today. They were Andy Reid, Mike Tomlin, Bill O'Brien, Vic Fangio, Zach Taylor, and Kevin Stefanski. Any big takeaways from this news, Jay?
0: Oh yeah. You know Bill O'Brien had to get in there to work. He got two jobs down there in Houston, and he's not all that great at either one. So I'm glad he showed up today.
1: Good for him. (laughs) All right, that concludes today's drink of wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. I'm Jay Wise. And
0: remember, make tomorrow better than today. Make today better than yesterday. You know what we're going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time.